Welcome into Honorado and Bagnardi. Chris Honorado and Sean Bagnardi with you here on um, what feels like we've had a string of somber mornings uh, to start our workday. Uh, even people who aren't working, I'm sure, consumed by the news, Sean, the way you and I have been over at least the last handful of days. But obviously now we're more than a week since uh, George Floyd's killing uh, in Minneapolis. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that's hard to watch. Unfortunately, when you turn on the news and you cover the news like we do, it's hard to see. Um, we're certainly living an important moment in history here. And it you don't really know when or how we're going to reach the conclusion. So every night is is gripping in the most concerning way. And hopefully we reach a, a peaceful and quick resolution to all of the things that are going on. But the reality is the deep-seated issues that are leading to all of this have been around for decades and centuries yes. in this country. So the idea that something will quickly improve is probably not the case, but obviously that's what we have to hope for and work toward. And if you know us or if you're watching us for the first time, you know that 95% of what we do is is sports related. I currently work in sports. You currently work in news. But you flip that on how our careers in TV started. I started in news out of college. You started in sports out of college. So combined, we are just as, as interested and curious in the economy and politics and social issues as we are anything related to sports. And of course, the sports world has intersected with those that I just mentioned uh, much more than I think a lot of people want to admit or or want to acknowledge on, on kind of a, a daily basis here. And so uh, with all that said, our guest today is going to help educate not only the two of us bags, but uh, but everybody watching here today on on how the economy is hopefully going to bounce back once we get through this coronavirus pandemic, but also the effect that you know the rioting and looting will have on the business world overall. And Becky Quick, who uh, is a host of Squawk Box on CNBC, I'm sure if I say it enough, I'm going to screw up Squawk Box once or twice here today, but I'll try not to. Becky, thank you so much for the time. It's so good to see you. How are you? Uh, great to see you both, Chris and Sean. Uh, I really appreciate your time today. And I have to say, kind of watching you guys and watching some of your podcasts and hearing it, um, I, I, I love that you mix business and sports together because uh, so much of what happens in sports is following the money in a money game. And um, I, I think it only makes sense to kind of branch out and go from there. And we, we do on Squawk Box end up talking sports from time to time. And particularly during the shutdown and during this pandemic, it's given us some time to kind of go behind the numbers to see what's happening there. But I think you're right to start from a broader level and just kind of look at the overall economy, because this is like nothing any of us have ever seen before. And we'll get to some of the, the sports related items here. I heard Andrew Ross Sorkin this morning say, you know, can you fill NFL stadiums if there isn't a spike in coronavirus cases based on the protesting and gatherings that we've seen here uh, over the last week. But first, Becky, I want, I want to start with what we've seen in our country's largest cities, and particular to the riots um, and the looting, and businesses now maybe having to be closed longer than they thought they would because they thought they were coming out of this pandemic-forced closure. How do you think the economy and the business world will be affected based on what we're seeing over the last week? 
You know, just over the last week, I, I agree with you. I watched all weekend, couldn't tear myself away from this and, 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 and seeing these heartbreaking moments. Uh, I mean, it's, it is enough to drag a lot of people into despair. Um, what is concerning about it is seeing it break out all over the place and not knowing if there's an end date for any of this. But set against the backdrop of watching some of these big companies that have seen their retail storefronts get looted. Look, as long as it, 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 is, it is horrible and it is horrible for businesses that are suffering some, from so much. They have been dealing with months now of closures in some states where they have had zero revenue coming in, where they have been trying to take care of their employees. And that is heartbreaking and heart wrenching to see. But I think my thoughts really go out to the small business owners who don't have the deep pockets to be able to fall back on some of these issues. If you are a business owner in a downtown area, and we're not talking about one or two or three of the nation's biggest cities, you're talking about dozens and dozens of cities where you have seen peaceful protests turn into uh, violent riots and, and, and looting in a lot of situations. These are businesses that were barely holding on and they were barely holding on despite some of the best efforts of the government to try and get PPP funding, uh, the paycheck protection, the payroll protection uh, plan money towards them and funneled towards them. They were just starting to come out on the other side of this and saying, okay, maybe we can give this a go. For those of uh, those of them that are lucky enough and fortunate enough to be able to weather the, the storm that we've already seen with coronavirus. So I think that's where I am focused most on this, what does this mean for for small business? And 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 those are the you know that's the engine of America. And most people are are employed by small companies, not big companies. Something it seems like everybody wants to know is when things do get better, how long then does it take? What's the best case scenario? Let's say we we put the pandemic behind us. You know, after the crisis in '08, it took an awfully long time for yeah. the economy to really turn around. So what, in your opinion, is the best case scenario in terms of number of years, probably, that we could get back to something like we had before the pandemic hit? Let's just start with the the, the premise that, you know, is just a premise that we can get past some of these these rioting events that we're watching. And let's say that, that we don't have a second wave of coronavirus that, that hits the country. If, if you're dealing with that, then I think it's it's one scenario. And it's, you know, it's not a great scenario, but it's not the same as 2008 because 2008 was a financial crisis and that had ripple effects that shut down lending, that shut all of these things down. And we don't have that here. You have a Federal Reserve that, that has taken all the right actions and is backing up both the government and businesses and is trying to make sure that uh, the markets don't collapse. And it's done a very good job of that to date. So if, if you were able to say, okay, we're just gonna turn the lights back on tomorrow, everybody can come back to work, we're all going to be safe. I think that's a, a, a fairly optimistic, I mean, that's a long shot situation, but if you could do that, you would be talking about much more of a V-shaped recovery. Now, that doesn't get to the fact of small businesses that won't be able to weather this. And that's the huge question. That's the, the biggest issue we have going forward. And I think it, it, it's blind to a lot of the realities that we are dealing with at this point. You're not going to see 
people feel comfortable in getting back on airplanes right away or going on cruise ships or necessarily going on vacations like they would have before. And that's because we can't say that the coronavirus has been put behind us. There are a lot of people waiting to see what happens, not only over July and August, but then what happens in the fall if there is a second um, resurgence of, of the coronavirus. So those, those are the things that make it a lot tougher to kind of figure this out. But if you talk to most economists, they will tell you that unemployment, which is, you know, 40 million people have filed for unemployment claims just in the last couple of months. They will tell you that unemployment is probably going to be stubbornly high towards the end of this year because you will not see every business bring every employee back. Yeah, those people who have been furloughed temporarily, we hope, um, there, there, are be, there will be some people who don't come back and they will tell you they expect that unemployment will be at least eight to nine percent even by December uh, at the end of this year. And of course, we will at that point have, will have already gone through the presidential election, which is ahead of us. And, and those are numbers that are always uh, brought up and, and play heavily into any election period, but certainly a, a presidential election. Becky, as you, as you talk about the unemployment numbers here, uh, one num this this struck me, and I know I emailed you about this because I almost couldn't believe it, but I heard this on, on your show, Squawk Box, I believe it was Thursday morning, um, that two-thirds to three-quarters of the people currently on unemployment are making more money than they did with their previous employer. Now, I know there are other circumstances at play here because there's been a bump in unemployment pay, and they're talking about extending that perhaps even beyond July 31st. But did that number strike you the way it did me in a, in a surprising fashion? Yeah, and, and that's part of where you see a lot of the political discourse kind of shaping up right now. Um, there have been plenty of politicians who said we have to be careful with this, and, and rightly so. They point out that you don't want to incentivize people to not go back to work, but probably what's more telling about the entire situation is how little some of these people were making before. Um, if you also dig through some of the numbers and some of the recent things that were coming out, I was just talking with Steve Leisman about this. Maybe it was on Thursday, maybe it was on Friday of this past week, maybe Thursday when we got the unemployment claims again. He was just pointing pointing out that really when you dig through some of these things, you're talking about people who, even though they have a job, many of them have seen their hours cut uh, because businesses can't afford to keep everybody. We just heard this from Starbucks again yesterday saying that they are asking for employees to take voluntary leaves without pay all the way through September until they can get things back up and running again. You have seen the airlines uh, take similar moves like this. So even um, people who don't stand up and, and get counted as those who are officially unemployed might be dealing with working less hours than they want to be. They may be bringing in less money. And the one thing that the government has really gotten right, I think, was when this happened, they did step up and add the additional $400 a week to unemployment so that people could make sure that they could pay their bills and um, and make sure that they'd find food in some of these difficult times. But it does tell you about how many people we already had in this country who were kind of skating by just on the edge of things. Um, making barely a living wage, if, if that. And that, that gets you to some of the really interesting uh, potential solutions we've heard about from other people too, talking about extending some of those pay cuts. Or there was an idea that Senator Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio had, which is to pay people basically a bonus to go back to work. Maybe you get $400 a week, not the full $600 of extra unemployment, but $400 a week to go back to work because you would be one of the workers on the front lines who's really out there and helping us get through this and incentivizing people to get back out there and get back to work. Obviously we're seeing right now a lot of protests against racial inequality and at the center of that, right now seems to be very much centered around law enforcement, but a big part of that inequality 
comes from economic inequality mm -hmm. as well. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of the state of things now between minority communities and otherwise, and how you think that might even be playing a role in what we're seeing, especially on the heels of the pandemic, then turning into the protests and ultimately riots as well in some cases. I think you need to go back to before the financial crisis to look at some of these issues and how it's played out. And look, the Fed has played a role in this too. Uh, Jay Powell just last week was saying, no, the Fed's actions are not adding to inequality, but in reality they are. Uh, the, the actions that Ben Bernanke took, it was not to to help the, the richest Americans, but by shoring up the stock market, you inevitably help those who have the most. If you are shoring up stock prices, if you are shoring up the housing market, if you are doing any of these actions to make sure, which by the way, all those actions were warranted. You need to make sure the markets are functioning so that companies can continue to get funding from the private sector, very important. But inevitably, one of the side effects of that is those who have money have even more money after they come out of all of these things. Um, and that's been, uh, I think, where a lot of the, the div divisions in the country kind of have stemmed from, and that goes back more than a decade. You're talking 12 years, even longer about how people were feeling the haves versus the have-nots. Okay, now fast forward to, to this scenario. And this is a situation where, you know, if you're well off or, you know, if you're a white-collar worker, you might very well be able to work from home right now. Um, you might find that you are just as efficient or maybe even more efficient than you were before in your job. And your employer is now looking at this and saying, hey, it's not such a bad idea to have people working at home. Maybe I can look at not leasing as much space in the buildings where I've been leasing space. Maybe I can save some money by not offering to, to pay them some of their help that uh, I've been giving along the way for their transportation costs or different things. So it's a win for you, the worker, and it's a win for the employer as well. If you are somebody who's a blue collar worker, you can't do your work from home. You've got to be there uh, on the front lines of, you know, you're basically, we're, we're, we're saying that you're the ones who are going to war for us and you are helping the rest of the country get through. So while we get to sit at home and work from home, we can order our food on, on Fresh Direct. We can order all of everything else you need to come to your house from Amazon or one of these other online retailers or Target or Walmart, and they'll show up at your door, but somebody has to keep working and doing those things. So to me, it's one thing when the wages are so out of whack, but when you couple that with the idea that you know, you're, we're expecting you to take your life in your hands at this point while we sit very comfortably at home. I think that just adds up to a lot of potential problems. And you're emphasizing the haves versus the have-nots in, in, in much more significant ways than we ever were in the past. Becky, here's a number that doesn't make sense to me, uh, but I know you can explain it to us. Uh, <laughs> during these times, how have we seen personal income increase? The April report that that you guys released on Squawk Box on Thursday morning was that personal income was up 10 and a half percent. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of people who are working, who are working extra hours. You also have many of those employers uh, like a Walmart or a Target or, or an Amazon who have stepped in and said that they're going to be giving temporary pay gains to all of their associates, uh, whether that be $2 an hour at Amazon uh, or whether you're offering stock or other issues that go through. They're also significantly boosting their overtime pay because those companies that have been open have, have seen just a, a flood of demand and not every one of their workers feels comfortable being at work right now. Maybe they have kids that they have to take care of at home. Maybe they have underlying conditions. Maybe they're older. Um, so those workers have been taken 
out of the mix. And in order to get the most out of those who are still there and to, again, reward them for being on the front lines, many of these big companies, Home Depot too, they've all raised um, the wages for right now and they've asked people to, to, to work overtime and they've paid them additionally over time. I, I think another interesting statistic, Chris, is just the idea of what Americans have been doing with their money. They've been saving and hoarding their cash, mm. um, just like we've been hoarding toilet paper and everything else. When things get scary, you want to make sure that you have enough to try and pay for any um, bad things that come along or maybe being out of work. And so it's a uh, personal savings rate skyrocketed too. Wow. Well, I feel like every time we talk to a financial advisor at our TV station and we ask them about the stock market, they say, it's always best just to ride it out. You know, don't panic, don't overreact to big jumps or big losses. Can you talk about why that's the case and why for somebody like me who's a novice, when I see those huge shifts and I see the numbers plummet, you know, four or 500 points in one day, tell people why it's important not to overreact to those kind of things. Because you're going to see moves like that all the time. You're never going to be able to time the market. You're never going to be able to figure it out. There's probably a handful of people in the entire world who are, are good enough to move the market or to try and uh, move ahead of the market in any of those situations. There are tax benefits or, or, or tax incentives to not sell. Every time you sell, you're going to have to pay a capital gains tax. So you can sell and get out and then try and get back in. But you need to be that much better um, than just the tax penalties that come along with, with selling and moving. Um, and, and frankly, some of the biggest moves happened before you could get back in anyway. So if you're not in every single day, you're, you're missing out on the, let's say, the, the top 10 biggest move days of the year, and you've lost any potential advantage you have to getting in, into any of these issues. Um, you shouldn't treat it like a casino. Um, it's not Las Vegas. It's not Atlantic City. It, you should look at this as buying pieces of a business and, 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 and putting money aside that frankly, you don't need right now. That's that's the other issue. You can't do that. You can't be calm, cool, and collected if this is money that you're counting on to pay, I don't know, um, a down payment on a house next year or you know, rent six months from now. That, that's, that doesn't give you the time frame that you need to be um, a cautious and wise investor. Investing is a great way. It is what you should be doing with your money because the government and the Federal Reserve is trying to create inflation of like two and a half percent every year, which means if you have a hundred dollars this year, if they're successful in your in their job, you are going to have ninety seven and a half dollars worth of buying power next year. So it is important to be invested in stocks over the long haul. But, you know, don't do it with money that you can't afford to lose. And and and, and look at what the market's doing right now. This morning it's up. Uh, 170 points this morning. It was up yesterday too. Based on all this terrible headline news that's out there, the market is still up. And that just tells you the market can confound the most people the most often. And you know, don't think that any of us are smart enough to beat that. You should be putting money aside, particularly when you're young. That's when it's especially important because that gives you a really long lead time. It gives that money time to have compound interest working in your favor. You should be putting money aside, but don't sweat it. Don't worry about it every day. Outside of what you just said about having it be money that you don't need to live your life, yeah. what other advice would you have for young people looking to invest in terms of where they should be investing and how they should be investing? Well, I mean, I will uh, I will offer the words of Warren Buffett, who's the smartest investor <laughs> I've ever met. Um, 
he says, put it in an S&P 500 index so that you are betting on America. You are betting on the 500 largest companies in America by doing that. And then you don't have to worry about an Enron or some bankruptcy that takes your company out or some you know, unforeseen pandemic like coronavirus that takes down an entire industry like the, the airline stocks um, through no fault of their own. If you are betting on all of America, that's that's been a very good and a very safe bet um, for for decades and decades, and and even further back than that. So that's you know if you're not doing this for a living, if this is not your day job, be very careful. Bet on America. Don't worry about some of the big moves or swings here and there. Now you'll get other people who will tell you you should be investing in the technology stocks. You should be doing X, Y, and Z. I'm just telling you what Warren Buffett says, and you know he's the, the best investor I've ever met. Becky, let's bring this into the, the sports world here uh, a little bit. And, you know, we're trying to predict, OK, when do sports come back? How do they come back? Uh, my question from an economic standpoint is if sports come back without fans allowed in the building, do professional sports and, of course, talking about the, the major ones, the NBA, the NHL and, and maybe baseball gets there, but certainly the NFL, even if fans aren't allowed, is there still a positive economic impact? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Uh, all right. Tell me you guys wouldn't watch any event they put on television right now that had any sports going on. We are all. Oh, yeah. Chris, this. Chris watched football players playing golf and thought it was the best thing in the world. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. We are all desperate for any kind of sports activity. Please give us something to watch. You know, yeah. really like, uh, I don't know, watch the, the dog races or something. Give us anything that we could watch and feel good about. Um, so, yeah, I think absolutely. If, if they were to put any of this on television, you would have the biggest audiences you've ever seen. And that's going to mean ratings. And that's going to be good news, at least for the leagues overall, which then turn around and give that money and dole it out to each of the teams involved. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not a significant loss. I was reading something last week, I think, that said the NFL has something like $5 billion in lost revenue if they go forward with a season without anybody in the seats. And that's because of the seats that they're not selling the concessions they're not selling, the parking they're not selling, the paraphernalia from the teams uh, from the team stores that are there. So $5 billion was the estimate I saw. And I think they did that based on the numbers. They went back to 2018's NFL season and broke it down. And for some teams, obviously, it's a bigger deal than others. Um, I think Patriots were right up there with some of the biggest losers on this. But no question, any of them would lose it. But we did talk to Stephen Ross last week, yeah. um, the owner of the Miami Dolphins. And he said, yeah, we want to move forward with this. We want to move forward any way we possibly can with this. You get it back out there. And I, I think most of them are operating at this point on the assumption that they're going to have at least some people in the seats. Maybe you have to social distance. Maybe you can't sell every seat. But I think mm -hmm. they're hoping very much that they can fill some of the seats there. But just think about the TV rights alone and what that would mean for each of these teams. All right, I don't want to do it. I asked you the best case scenario before. Now I'm going to ask you. Now I'm going to ask you a little bit of the worst case. If there is a resurgence in the fall, and we see more of what we've seen, we have another extended shutdown. Mm -hmm. What happens then in terms of the economic impact? Well, um, I will say a couple of things on that. First of all, I think businesses have figured out very quickly how to adapt and how to move and how to try and figure out what their customers need. And um, 
you know, I'll, I'll tell you just my hairdresser. He's a great guy, an entrepreneur who has just started his third salon. He opened one, uh, I guess about five years ago. He opened a second one a couple of years ago. And then he opened his third salon just in January, just right before everything got shut down. It's all in New Jersey. And he has not had any of those places open through any of this. He has gotten really good about reaching out to his customers, finding out what he can bring to them, what products he can bring to them, what, uh, you know, helping, giving them lessons how to color their own hair, like me, <laughs> trying to walk us through to get us, you know, like, here's how you can do things from home that he can continue to bill us. And he was pretty upfront with me. He said, look, I'm, I'm just trying to hustle and figure out where I can get business coming in. So I, I, I look at that. I look at a lot of these retailers that have adapted and tried to figure out other businesses that are kind of going online, or maybe they're using the Facebook shops to try and reach out to their customers and get access to them any way possible. It's the same way that our schools are adapting and trying to make sure that they can reach out to their kids at home. I think we're all smarter about this this time around. I think businesses are smarter about this. Now, that's not going to save every business. If you're in a service industry, you still have huge uh, troubles. But you know, even look at restaurants. They're all finding ways that you can drive up. And this happened within days of the shutdown, finding ways that they can still deliver food to people or have you go and, and pick up food right outside. So I think businesses adapt and they're, they're better at this and smarter at this than they were last time around. And I will say, you know, even in that worst case scenario, I'd like to put some of the optimism and potential positives out there. There are so many companies that are either working on a vaccine right now, a potential vaccine, or are working on some sort of um, therapeutic that would ease the effects of coronavirus. And that's where I am the most hopeful because again, I would never bet against America. And when you see, and this is not just America, this is the whole world trying to find some resolution for this, putting all their best brain power into this. I am really hopeful that, you know, maybe not some miracle cure by the fall, but I, I think there could be a lot of hope on that front. And maybe that's what I would hang my hat on at that point. And you lead me right where I wanted to go next, Becky. And Sean, put me back on track here if, if I'm wrong. We've done stories here locally in the capital region with uh, our Regeneron plant. Yeah. And it feels like there's this race yeah. to, in a good way, a race to be the first to have the vaccine. And we all know what that would do for stocks and all that stuff. I get it. But Eli Lilly is, is close or feels like they're close. By the end of the month, they, they hope to have some results from human testing. Mm -hmm. Regeneron is, is along those same tracks, like really wants to start some point in this month as well. Do you feel like a vaccine, just on the surface, Becky, would do wonders for our mental health in terms of going out in public, but also our, our spending power, thinking, you know what, we're not going to regress the way Sean has asked about. Yeah, Sean, you're the bad guy. You know, very negative, <laughs> very negative. Um, no, it, it would help me, just honestly, my own mentality. I, I, it would make me feel better. I have older relatives who I'm worried about. I have uh, one of my children I'm worried about um, with some underlying conditions. So, I, you know, that would help me tremendously. I'm, I'm pinning my hopes on that. Um, and and I, my co-anchor, Joe Kernan, has called it kind of like our Manhattan Project, right? This is yeah. our generation's um, everything we have is getting thrown into this. And I would not bet against human ingenuity. Um, and particularly when there is so much on the line it, it, from the healthcare perspective, from a health perspective, but also from an economic perspective, um, you have businesses and you have, um, governments that are stepping up and really pouring money into this, not to mention some of the philanthropic organizations that are doing the same. 
Do you think we'll see a trend of more people working from home now because oh, businesses have I realized? Yeah, you kind I of love can. it, right? But I, I do think you'll see that, John, because I, I, I think in the end, employers are realizing, A, we're much better at this than they ever thought we could be um, because, again, we were forced to do this instantaneously. And B, they are realizing that there are ways that they can save money by having people at home, too. That's why you've already seen some companies. I think Facebook has really taken a big step and said it's going to be doing this. Visa has talked about having its employees working from home for a long time. I, and I, I think so. I, if you think about it, your employees, not all of them, there are a lot of people who want to go back to work, but there are others who maybe are working in urban centers where it's really crowded it's really expensive. And if you don't live within walking distance of your place of business, you may be facing two hours of a daily commute or longer. And that's not productive for anybody. So if you can have an employee who's happier because they're not commuting two hours a day, maybe they're willing to give you a little more extra effort to be able to prove that they can work from home. Shawnee, I'll give you a last take here. Although Becky, I, I know you travel off hours, but even from New Jersey into the city, not having to go into the office must be nice. Well, it's a mixed bag. Um, it, it only takes me about 30, 35 minutes to commute into Times Square. Um, and that it, it actually takes me longer than that to do my own hair and makeup. So <laughs> I'm getting up a little earlier than I even was before just to commute to my basement. All right. So the question I'll leave you on is, I feel like, and this is right or wrong, this is how it always is, where the president of the United States will get credit or you know, negative credit for things that are positive, negative, ranging from everything, the economy, everything. How much do you think the chief executive plays a role in specifically what happens with the economy? The chief executive of the nation? Yes. The president? Yes. Um, well, look, he's going to get credit or blame no matter what happens. Um, you get credit for things that aren't necessarily your fault when uh, or that aren't necessarily due to what you brought in. He gets credit for things that he did do. Um, and same thing on the blame side. You know, there are going to be things that he right, rightfully gets blamed for. And there are going to be other things that were probably out of his control. I don't I don't think anybody had um, much of a head start. You can fight back and forth about this. But if I think back to where we were at the end of February, talking to all the brightest minds and the business leaders in the country, nobody really knew what coronavirus was going to be facing at that point. We, we may have gotten caught unawares, and I think the CDC did not prepare as much as it should have, and we had problems with the testing that put us behind the eight ball. Um, but it's how you react to the situation that you're handed. And that's the case for the nation. That's the case for any CEO that we're going to talk to. And, you know, frankly, we all kind of live in that same world. If it happens on your watch, you're going to get the credit or the blame for it. Becky, I, I just want to acknowledge a couple of things here as as we do let you go. Um, you know, obviously Squawk Box is going to be very focused on where we are economically, but yeah. the job I thought you guys did, particularly yesterday, having Merck CEO Ken Frazier on, uh, Robinhood CEO Wes Moore, the, the conversations around race and the economy, I thought were illuminating. They're both such powerful speakers to begin with. 
um, and and just bright minds that 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 was that was worth watching on Squawk Box. Uh, so I recommend anybody six to nine on CNBC every single morning during the week. Uh, you can find Becky and her team on Squawk Box. Uh, and and one more thing, Thanks, uh, I believe on a recent podcast you were called a female badass or a, or a lady <laughs> boss. And I will just say this: I'll steal from the sports world. Similarly to what Serena Williams has said, hey, I don't want to be talked about as one of the, the great female tennis players of all time. I want to be discussed as one of the great tennis players of all time. You are a badass. You are a boss. We are humbled <laughs> by the opportunity to speak with you today. So thank you. The, the way you held Senator Rick Scott's feet to the fire this morning was was excellent. Thank you. Uh, guys, thank you. I, I really appreciate coming on and talking to you. And again, there are just so many links between economics and sports and you know, it's the same type of thing that gets us fired up about this. So I, I really appreciate you guys kind of stretching out in all kinds of ways, too, and tying that together. I think it's super important for the viewers. And I just want to thank you. I was listening to your chat beforehand. I was spying on you from the from the <laughs> green room, the virtual green room on it. I love the passion you guys have about this. How You were talking about the show from last night at 11 p.m. and then what you've been watching this morning and going through. I love that you guys are so fired up about this and so involved. So Chris and Sean, I want to thank you guys for your time. It's really great talking to you. Thank you so much, Becky. And again, if you haven't seen it on the bottom of the screen, you can follow Becky on Twitter, simple, at Becky Quick. Thank you so much, Becky. Stay safe. Be well. Take care, guys. That is CNBC's Becky Quick with us here on Honorado and Bagnardi. Good stuff, Shawnee. Really, really good. good stuff. You know, you didn't tell me that the guests could hear us when it's just the two of us on the screen. <laughs> well, you know, I want I was I'm glad, to, I'm glad to know that now, you know, 15 guests into doing this on StreamYard. Uh, so thanks for that. Look, we are, and I said at the top, and I do mean it, you know, we're interested in all these things, right? I mean, we want to educate ourselves as much as we possibly can. Hopefully, people watching today feel the same and, and benefited from our discussion with Becky. And, and it's why I watch the 11th hour when I get home from work. It's why I, I go back and watch newscasts prior, because there are things we miss through the busyness of our every day um, that I want to make sure you know we're caught up on and, and have a grasp of, of what's really being discussed in the streets, but, but what yeah. is really unfolding. Some scary stuff last night, man. Really scary stuff. It is. It's really scary. Um, you hate to see it. As we've said, though, it it also happens to be extremely compelling television. And at a time when you have those kind of things going on, how it's covered is very important. And I got to say, like Becky, I watched all weekend. I could not pull myself away from these these especially cable news reporters who are really on the front lines of everything, putting themselves in harm's way really from both sides. They're, they're standing on the end when they can get shot with tear gas or rubber bullets and that kind of thing. And as bad as it is, it is compelling and it's hard to turn away from, but it, it, it and from the news perspective, which you and I watch a lot of this stuff from, yep. it is open the door. It creates an opportunity. Like you're either going to step up and, and prove what your worth as an operation or you're not. And I think we've seen journalists all across the country show up for this and, and cover this in a way that's very important to show the people at home exactly what is happening on the streets. You know, I went back on Netflix and watched the LA 92 mm. documentary about the riots in Los Angeles that followed uh, Rodney King. Rodney King yeah. And it, 
it's it's interesting because a lot of that stuff you see in, in many ways it's a lot worse i mean 58 people died during those riots and thankfully we haven't had um nearly that kind of number um but at the same time you weren't able to cover it that kind of way necessarily a lot of that stuff is sort of you know there's there's stuff from reporters and journalists and a lot of it's not in the in a documentary like that but now you can put people everywhere and, and this is so widespread but, too. but john can i also just say this too you know in 92 so you're younger than i am but in 92 i would have been nine, I believe, at, at the time of the Rodney King. And so growing up in New Jersey, I mean, not only was it a country, a, a country away, essentially, it felt a world away. And mm -hmm. and maybe it's because of my innocence at the time, but also the way news was covering it. We, we didn't have the news cycle we currently do. Right. Um, so things may feel different on that levels, too. I, I, I also just want to say here, too, because Becky said it before we, we came on the air, you know, that maybe this is similar to 68. The three of us weren't privy to that. But but 68, 92, 2020. I know. We should have progressed. And my point is, I'm not defending anybody in any of this, but it isn't singular to one administration or one no. politician or one Republican, Democrat. doesn't matter. It, when you talk about systemic racism, this is something that bleeds across generations and party lines for sure. Well, yeah, and it starts at the very beginning. I mean, we we had a problem as a nation when we founded the country on the premise that all men are created equal and slavery was still a thing. Okay, so it's been since the very beginning of this country. Have we come a long way from that? Yes, thankfully we have. But is there still a very long way to go? Yes, unfortunately there is. And it's going to be another long day and long night for law enforcement, uh, not just here in the capital region, but across the country, certainly. Um, final thoughts, Bags? Final thoughts are you just it, it's going to take a village to fix this problem. These things don't happen overnight. They are not going to be cured overnight, but it takes everybody really looking in the mirror. It takes law enforcement, looking in the mirror, what can we do better? It takes white people in general looking sure. in the mirror and saying, what can we do better? What have we been ignoring? It's going to take some black people looking in the mirror. It's going to take people in inner city communities and, and community leaders looking in the mirror saying, what can we do to improve the situation here ourselves? So that, look, I think a lot of it is bad teaching, bad upbringing. Mm -hmm. I think that there are there are a lot of law enforcement officers. They might get the right training when they come in. They may not, but they may get the right training from their management. And then they're exposed to veterans of the department who maybe teach them something a little bit different when they get out on the streets. I think there are people probably in inner city communities who get taught, hate the police right from the second they're born and that's it. And even if that isn't justified in some cases, and I think that fuels the fire too. I think everybody in the country has to step back, look in the mirror, think about what we can do to be better. You know, I texted you on Saturday. I said, look, in the afternoon, this country sent two men into orbit in eight minutes. And in the evening time, we're burning down our cities. So how many people do you think it took to put those two guys in orbit? Hmm. How many different 
colors, religions, creeds do you think were involved in that process? But teamwork in this country is very possible. And certainly we're all the same. We can all work together to accomplish incredible things that seem on the surface would be impossible to do. But we all have to step back, look in the mirror and say, how can we help somebody else? What can we do together to try to get out of this? If you're going to look to your your leadership for some, there, n- nobody, like you say, it doesn't matter if they're Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter who's in Congress. Now, people in that power, I think, can have more negative impact, too, if they kind of stoke the flames of this thing. But no, no one person, no one legislature can pass a magic bill that's going to cure it all. And it's going to take a long time. I would say... The best way to affect change in this country is always to vote. Peaceful protest is definitely the next best thing. So if you don't like what you're seeing and you want to go out and protest, go ahead. The violence can never be justified. And ultimately, if you want to affect the most change, go out and vote for the people. Because it's like I said, it's not going to take one person. It's going to take an entire body. And then beyond that, look to yourself as well. It's well said, buddy. But you keep talking about all this looking in the mirror. I haven't hair, had, had a haircut in about four months. And I feel like all I've done during the pandemic is is eat and drink. So I've avoided mirrors. You know what I've got now? I've got the hair coming over the ear. Sometimes. Oh, please. I'm beyond that. Yeah. And that, and I don't do that. I never no. do that. So this yeah. to me well, feels like something is very wrong. Your girlfriend's cut it once. Let Elisa do it again. Yeah, we in phase two yet. Can we get to phase two? <laughs> We're close, man. Phase I two know. in the capital region. You know what, though? How hard is it going to be when these salons open to get a haircut? Not How easy. Hard? It's going to be like they're passing out free tickets to the Super Bowl at these places. How in the world are you going to get a haircut when it opens? You might have to book like 10 days out. I've got my appointment already, June 12th. June 12th? Yeah. What's today? The second? Yeah, I've got two more weeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, Listen, you called off the wedding. Yes, I know. We had, to, we had to postpone the wedding. Ashley's very happy about that because of the way I currently look. Good thing it isn't happening June 19th. Maybe he looks better in May of next year. It's postponed. I thought it was canceled. You're still getting married? Well, I say postponed. Maybe Ashley's telling people canceled. I don't All know. right. <laughs> what do I do? I got to save the date. Now you're going to send another save the date? No, no more save the dates. What do I do with no the old save the dates? Just, just a, Just an invitation. I feel bad throwing out, you know, such a nice picture of you guys, but I can't leave. What am I supposed to do? Leave it on my fridge forever? What do Is I do now? On fridge? Yeah, it's on the fridge. What do I do with this thing? The I day you take it out, throw it out. Got to throw it out. Yeah. You spent all that money, and now what's everybody going to do? They're just going to throw it out, which they would have done anyway. Correct. And now you spent all that money saving the date that isn't even the date. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Listen, Sometimes. from the start, I said, I'm not keeping a spreadsheet. I don't want to know how much each thing costs. We just do what you have to do, and, and it right. is what it is. I, I would I'd not have any of this hair if we were keeping track of it. Becky would tell you, bad job economically. By yes, right. This wedding. Poor investment, a wedding. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. All right, Bags, uh, this was educational, um, mm-hmm. but uh, in a way cathartic, too. Um, I think, you know, if we don't talk about some of these things that are happening uh, in real time, uh, they build up. So I'm, I'm glad we had the opportunity. And, yeah, and one more point on that. A part yeah. of this process is going to be about people having conversations you don't want to have. Mm-hmm. You know what? You got to talk about what you're feeling, even if you think somebody's not going to agree with it. And you've got to listen to the people who may have the opposite viewpoint of you. 
and feel about and think about why they feel that way and try to internalize that and, and talk to them about why you feel the way you feel. We cannot, I think part of the problem why in this country these things don't get fixed sooner than they should is people get scared of it. And I think what this has taught us maybe more than anything is we cannot turn away from having these difficult conversations with each other and with ourselves, because if we don't, uh, this stuff is just going to keep festering and boiling up. And we, we reach this boiling point where it blows over and it's just madness. You cannot have chaos like this on the streets of all our major cities. And I understand that there are people who are just taking advantage of mm -hmm. the situation to create that chaos, but even separate from the violence, it's chaos enough having thousands and thousands of people who feel like they don't have the right kind of place that they should in this country, even if it's not violent, that's chaotic enough. Um, so we've got to start having the difficult conversations and we need to have leaders, I think, who can help facilitate that, not, um, not cause division. Shawnee, I'll see you at the station later on today, buddy. I get more you today, huh? More that's me. Good. All right. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. If you're watching it back on replay, if you will, on uh, on Facebook, uh, Squawk Box, 6 to 9 Eastern, every single morning. Uh, Becky Quick was our guest here uh, today, and you can find her on Twitter at Becky Quick. Bag, see you in a little bit, buddy. All right, sir. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you later on.